You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. Inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. Milton Friedman. What explains the combination of a credit crunch in the US with soaring commodity prices and rising inflation across the globe? Are these unrelated events or part of a single bigger picture? The answer is the latter. So far, this is not a return to the 1970s, but action is needed to keep this true. Inflation is a sustained rise in the price level, the result of too much money or purchasing power chasing too few goods and services. A one-off jump in commodity prices is not inflation, nor need such a jump cause inflation, but a continuous rise in the relative price of commodities is a symptom of an inflationary process. Whenever excess demand hits, the goods whose prices rise first are ones with flexible prices, of which commodities are the prime example. Commodity prices, then, are a pressure gauge. If we look at what has been happening in recent years, the gauge is showing red. The Goldman Sachs Index of Commodity Prices has doubled since early 2007. Nominal prices of oil have increased by 150% over the same period. The upward movement in commodity prices has also persisted for six and a half years. It looks as though too much extra demand is pressing on too little ability to increase global supply. The result is an unexpectedly big increases in overall inflation. The consensus for world consumer price inflation in 2008 has jumped from the 2.4% forecast in February 2007 to the 4.3% forecast in June 2008. These jumps are modest, but not that modest, nor is the forecast level. If people get used to the idea that inflation can jump like this, the notion may well become embedded in expectations with dire consequences. Yet how can we have an incipient global inflationary process when the US economy and those of other significant high-income countries are slowing down? The proximate reason is that the latter matter far less than they used to. The underlying explanation lies in the forces driving both global demand and supply. On demand, two big things are happening. Convergence and the imbalances. Under convergence comes the accelerated growth of emerging economies, above all of China and India. Under imbalances come the interventions in currency markets aimed at supporting competitiveness. Charles Dumas of London-based Lombard Street Research notes that at purchasing power parity, China now generates a little over a quarter of world economic growth in a normal year, while emerging and developing countries together generate 70%. Even at market exchange rates, the growth of China's gross domestic product is as big as that of the US in normal years for both countries. The emerging countries are also in a good position to keep on growing, largely because they have such strong external positions. Many emerging economies have intervened in currency markets on a huge scale principally in order to keep export competitiveness up and current account deficits down. 
Over the seven years to March 2008, global foreign currency reserves jumped by $4,900 billion, with China's reserves alone up by $1,500 billion. Indeed, as much as 70% of today's reserves have been accumulated over this period. Never again, said the emerging countries hit by crises in the 1980s and 1990s. Not even once, said China. Interventionist policies aimed at sustaining export competitiveness expand economies. The results normally include rapid rises in net exports, low interest rates aimed at curbing the capital inflow, and expansion in the monetary base despite attempts at sterilization. The Chinese economy is overheating as a direct result of this trio of effects. Most of these reserves were accumulated by countries more or less explicitly targeting the U.S. dollar and accumulating U.S. liabilities. The resulting capital flow financed the U.S. trade and current account deficits. But a trade deficit is contractionary. For any given level of domestic demand, it lowers domestic output. Thus, the U.S. needed to expand domestic demand in order to offset the contractionary effect of the external deficits. Some groups within the economy needed to spend more than their incomes. The most important such group turned out to be households. Thus, the growth in U.S. household indebtedness that led to today's credit crunch is a direct result of global imbalances. Today, the hapless Federal Reserve is trying to re-expand demand in a post-bubble U.S. economy. The principal impact of its monetary policy comes, however, via weakening of the U.S. dollar and an expansion of those overheating economies linked to it. To simplify, Ben Bernanke is running the monetary policy of the People's Bank of China. But the policy now appropriate to the U.S. is wildly inappropriate for China, and indeed for almost all the other countries tied together in the informal dollar zone, or as some economists have called it, Bretton Woods too. Thus, not only have the imbalances proved hugely destabilizing in the past, but they're going to prove even more destabilizing now that the U.S. bubble has burst. When most emerging economies need much tighter monetary policy, they are being forced to loosen still further. Meanwhile, on the supply side of the world economy, almost every piece of news has been bad. Whatever optimism one might feel about long-run possibilities for increased supply of energy, it is impossible to be optimistic about the short run. What we see then is an incipient global inflation. Yet the central bank with the greatest influence on global monetary policy is the one confronting the post-bubble credit crunch. Its post-bubble predicament is made worse by the soaring energy prices that result from the strong growth of the world economy. This, then, is a global challenge. The advanced countries are no longer the global driving force. They are importing inflation. If the world had a single central bank and a single currency, the former would surely tighten its monetary policy in light of the evidence on the constraints on the rate of growth of potential global supply. In the absence of such a central bank, the right alternative has to be greater exchange rate flexibility and targeting of domestic inflation. The world as a whole cannot import inflation. If every central bank assumes that the rise in commodity prices is the product of policies made elsewhere, general overheating must be the result. Worse, if that feeds into expectations, the world will be depressingly similar to the 1970s.
we are not there. Policymakers must ensure we never do get there. Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online, please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.